Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg. For this installment of Find Your Film, it's pretty much a one-off, one interview for one episode. The documentary is called Have You Got It Yet? The Story of Sid Barrett and Pink Floyd. I had the pleasure of interviewing director and writer Roddy Bogawa. And I'm not a big Pink Floyd fan. I, I love Pink Floyd. I don't have all of their albums, and especially the, the early stuff. So look, have you got it yet? The story of Sid Barrett and Pink Floyd was very value-added for me because I learned uh, just a heck ton about Sid Barrett and his seclusion, his disillusionment, et cetera, et cetera. If you are a fan of Pink Floyd, obviously, this document, this documentary will come through your purview, and it's worth it. There's a lot of interviews, and but ultimately, these interviews get, paint a very... Not, not even a broad picture of Sid Barrett, because there, as I'm sure a lot of you know, he spent years in seclusion after leaving Pink Floyd, and he had his share of problems as a solo artist, very talented. But his story was, obviously, he inspired the song, Wish You Were Here, and yeah, a lot, a lot of his years were spent living kind of a pretty much a hermetic existence. I can relate, I, I rarely leave the house, but... I really enjoyed this documentary because, first of all, I learned a lot more about the band through the interviews and Sid Barrett and his. It was tough, though. I mean, it's one of these things is how how do you uncover the story of a man who has devoted devoted most of his life to actually staying away from the spotlight? So this documentary tries to address that, and it's very intriguing to watch. Pete Townsend from The Who is among the people interviewed. Of course, you have the... Uh, David Gilmour, Nick Mason, Roger Waters, and original band members Peter Jenner and Andrew King and Blur's Graham Coxon are some of the people interviewed for this documentary. And the voice, the voice narrator, the narrator is actor Jason Isaacs, is, and he's very, very good in this as well as the narrator. He does a really good job. Hold on, is it Jason Isaacs or Jason Isaac? Let me see. I am horrible. Yes, Jason Isaacs. I have interviewed him couple of times over the years and I horrible that I had to check on his name. But yeah, I recommend it. 94 minutes. Have you got it yet? The story of Sid Barrett and Pink Floyd. During the interview, I asked Roddy Bagawa about this three and a half hour cut of the doc. I would have loved to have seen it. And he said, actually, after all the edits, it, you know, it could make a pretty good two and a half hour doc. But I understand 94 minutes is still a lot of information with these interviews and Sid Barrett and learning about him. It's, it's tight enough and worth a watch, in my opinion. Now, the co-director on this is Storm Thorgerson, and he's best known for his work in, as an artist in graphic design. Actually, Roddy made a documentary on Storm back in, I think, when did he make it? Uh, let me look at his IMDb. I think back in 2008 or 2009. When was that released? I'm looking at my IMDb. I apologize, folks. Yeah, Taken by Storm, The Art of Storm, Thorgerson and Hypnosis, Hypnosis, that was released in 2011, directed by Roddy Bogawa. So it's interesting because I asked him about his partnership and collaboration with Storm. What's, okay, so he, he did that documentary, spent three and a half years doing that documentary on Storm, and ultimately Storm had the idea of having Roddy pretty much do the documentary, some kind of quote-unquote, proper documentary on Sid Barrett. Here's the catch, though. Storm unfortunately passed away in 2013 from colon cancer, and now finally in the year 2023, 
this documentary is coming out. So it was definitely a labor of love for Roddy Bogawa. The fact that he actually was friends and collaborators with the late storm, it, it actually brings a level of resonance to the documentary as well. So really enjoy this talk with Roddy. He's a full-time professor over in, I believe, what is it called? New Jersey City University. Yeah, New Jersey City University. He teaches media arts there. He's in the media arts department. He's very, very well-spoken and wish I could have actually been one of his students. I, I can't because I'm, we're, we're around the same age, but he, I wish I could have actually talked to him for another hour about different filmmakers and, and, uh, and movies and whatnot. And he actually mentioned towards the end that he has a two page list of favorite movies that he could have sent over and he could have just talked about throughout the entire interview. But talking about cinema and favorite movies is not the point of the interview with Roddy Bagawa. He wants, he wanted to talk about, of course, his documentary. Now that is, have you got it yet? The story of Sid Barrett and Pink Floyd. It is opening in New York theaters July 14th and in LA theaters July 21st and then quote additional cities to be announced. Put your eyes and radar on this documentary. Definitely if you are interested, interested in Sid Barrett, Pink Floyd and the like, this is a documentary definitely for you. And yeah, I'm really excited to watch and try to find some of Roddy Bogawa's other documentaries because he was a very interesting interview. Hope you enjoy the talk with Roddy and I will be back with some more Find Your Film stuff. There's a just a big episode with the actors and the director of the flow. I was going to say the Floyd of the flood. And that's done by Eric Holmes. I'll be posting that up probably this weekend. Then I have interviews with the channel actors, Clayne Crawford and Max Martini, and also director William Kaufman coming up. There's a whole bunch of interviews that I'm backlogged on. I just wanted to get this one quote unquote out of the way because I really love this documentary and love the chat with Roddy. If you get to see this movie, tell me what you think. Hit me up and talk to you soon, guys. Thanks again. Bye. First off, Roddy, really enjoyed this documentary. I am just, uh, I was a little bit intimidated because, hold on one second, actually. Yeah, so I was a bit intimidated because of the amount of work that had to be done. It just seems like a very insurmountable type of documentary. Was I, Am I wrong on that assumption? Was it a lot easier than I would imagine or not? Uh, no, you're right. I mean, at one point there was about a three and a half hour edit for the film. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was really, um, you know, uh, Storm and I at one point made a big laundry list of people we wanted to interview and then also stories that we wanted to prove or disprove. So there was an, there, you're right. There was an enormous amount of material in terms of that. There's not a lot of footage on Sid. You know, that's the one thing there. It's pretty limited. We have some new stuff that people haven't seen, but you know, the, in terms of television material and things like that, that's kind of finite, but we didn't go after people that haven't been in other films or, or about Sid. You know, we did interview his sister and some girlfriends that haven't been in other things like that. And so we did try and do kind of a little bit of a more intimate kind of relationship to different people. So, but you're right. It was quite a lot of work. <laughs> and I'm, I'm checking out your, I, I can't wait to watch your other films, but I, I haven't seen Taken by Storm yet. So can you just talk about your relationship with Storm? And this is a project that's just not an overnight thing. It's a, it's a labor of love. And I'm sure you're very, very happy to actually have it coming out as well. But can you just talk about that whole epic journey, I, I suppose? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know Storm, but basically, uh, I'll have to try and tell this in a couple minutes. Uh, 
Uh, I had done a film called I Was Born But, and a musician, Chris Brokaw, had done the musical score. And he came through New York and he said, oh, I was just at Storm Thorgerson's studio. And I and I was joking with him. I said, who is that, a Finnish death metal singer? Who, who's this guy? And he said, no, he had the company Hypnosis in the 70s, record cover designer. I said, oh, yeah, of course. I had, you know, I had the Zeppelin records. I had the Floyd stuff. Uh, and he said, yeah, oh, yeah, they just did a cover uh, recently where they dug out a beach built these stairs down and then they just took a picture. They climbed up on the ladder and took a picture. I thought, why is, why would he do that now with Photoshop? And so I got kind of obsessed with that idea and I bought a book called walk away Renee. That was about hypnosis in the seventies. And when I, when it showed up, I freaked out how many covers that they had done that I had as a, you know, teen. And so I doubly started thinking about who is this guy that shaped my teen psyche so much I mean, like many people that, you know, <clears throat> records, music were where I started looking at fashion, you know, like what kind of haircut I wanted, you know, politics, you know, with, with, with bands like The Clash or whatever it was. And so music was always really important. And I was thinking about, you know, how vinyl records were disappearing at that moment. And also that I was shooting in 16 millimeter movie film as digital technology was coming in. And so literally, uh, I cold emailed Storm, you know, through Dan, his illustrator. It took about six or seven emails. Uh, And then finally, I wrote a story about seeing Pink Floyd on the Animals Tour, and Storm responded to that one. And so I went to London. We started shooting. I mean, it's a whole long, long, that's a whole other long saga. But I made a film. I was able to do a film on Storm. And it did very well. It played at South by Southwest. Uh, it was at MoMA in New York. They bought it for the permanent collection and things like that. And so we, and we became quite close, you know, um, in that, in that time span where actually I was helping storm do covers too. You know, he'd call me up and he'd say, Roddy, I need a thousand teddy bears for, by Friday. Can you find them? Things like that. And so it was amazing adventure, you know, being his friend. And then literally we screened the film in Los Angeles and Rob Dickinson, who was in the band Catherine Wheel, who's in the film, said to Storm that Roddy should do the film about Sid Barrett, the proper film that hasn't been done. And so literally the next morning at breakfast, Storm and I were sitting there and he said, what do you know about Sid Barrett, Roddy? He put me on the spot. And so I had to tell him this story about how I was in a band in college uh, and we tried to learn songs on Piper at the Gates of the Dawn and we couldn't figure them out. And so I have this vivid memory of that. And then I also loved his lyrics. I thought his lyrics were very personal and emotional. And so Storm said, hmm, maybe you are the one. And so the film basically uh, started at that moment. He said he would produce it because he knew everybody. He grew up with David Gilmore, grew up with Roger Waters, grew up with Sid, knew the girlfriends. Uh, and I was going to direct it. And then Storm's health started declining. He had colon cancer. And so he started shooting interviews. He, he, you know, he wanted to participate as much as he could while, while his health was in decline. And so, um, you know, that's how it started, you know, and I realized one of the, one of the emotional things that I realized, you know, was this idea of, you know, going to see old friends talking about a long lost friend, you know, Sid, but then I also realized Storm was saying goodbye to everybody too. So, uh, so it was pretty, pretty, you know, emotional kind of, kind of project for me. The first part of the moniker is, have you got it yet? And I, I feel like I kind of, as a viewer, I got it in a sense, because there is a, a recurring question about, is this a sad story? And I, I feel my, my interpretation personally is just, it, it's a story about friendship and camaraderie 
and time passing and the ravages of it and the inevitability of time passing. But were you surprised with what you've come, came out with, with this documentary, how really it's a story about sort of that, that friendship and maybe the dissolution or maybe regrets, all that, all that kind of stuff, which I think is really. Yeah, cool. no. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Greg. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's about all of that for me too. You know, absolutely. I mean, one of the questions that I asked people was if you could write a letter to Sid, you know, cause many of these people hadn't seen him since they were 16 or 17 and they just read about him or read, you know, heard stories. And so I said, if you could write a letter to Sid, what would you say to him now? And then that threw everybody into like, I think another space, like you're saying about memory and about time passing and thinking about their own life, you know, in relationship to that. And I always hope my films function as triggers like that, you know, that, yeah, there's the, there's the content of the movie, the subjects and, and so forth. But also I hope that people come away and they start thinking about themselves in relationship to those stories. And certainly the story of Sid's interesting because nobody really knew what happened to him. And so there's this unresolved element to it. And I think it's, it's, I, I hope, and I, we tried to do this in the film, that it's all that range of emotions like you bring up, you know, that it is sad because it's unresolved. It is thinking about, you know, um, time passing. It is thinking back to a moment that probably won't be repeated, you know, the swinging 60s of London and the experimentation with with drugs and enlightenment and then looking for spirituality with Saman gurus and, and all these types of things. But it's also about friendship. I think at the core of it, that was our angle, you know, because Sid, uh, I mean, Storm knew everybody. So we had we had a different kind of in. And so uh, and then Storm would deflect onto me, you know, and, and so there was an interesting kind of of mix in that. Uh, but I hope it's all those things that you just brought up. Right. Yeah, I'm just a viewer. I'm amateurish, but I I really enjoyed your documentary. It stands as is with its running time. Whenever you said like three and a half hour cut, I'm like, I, I could watch that immediately. <laughs> is, how viable is that? I mean, I'm, I'm just wondering about that cut. I, I, I just because there's I love it as is, but it, could there have been a, like a three and a half hour epic, epic? Not like this is an epic, but anyways. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it was it's, you know, the, the three and a half hour cut. I would say there was good stuff in it. There's good stuff we had to leave out, uh, which we'll put out, you know, on the, on the Blu-ray extras or things like that, you know, eventually. But um, I think the three and a half hour cut, it was good that it came down because it was real. We were kind of trying to follow the timeline too closely. And the minute that I, I, you know, there was a point where I said, okay, forget it. There's just no way we can follow it because, you know, he moves to Cambridge, moves back to London, moves to a different place in London, all these different kinds of things. And at one point we were trying to follow that. And I said, forget it. And I also did that with the music. I said, let's not use the music chronologically. Let's use the music as feeling, as emotion and tone. So that all of a sudden it, it created a different kind of freedom. So, you know, it, it, it becomes a little bit more personal, I think, you know, maybe in terms of my input in the story, but also then, you know, it allowed us to, to, shrink it down. And then having Jason Isaacs do the narration, which was great, great. allowed us to, to, to skip through a lot of things, but yeah, I mean, there, there could have been maybe not three and a half hour, maybe two and a half. <laughs> was, Jay, was Jason, was Jason an, an immediate choice for you? Because I think that's just a perfect, as far as doing the narration as, as the thread, I think it's a really perfect choice for you. He, he wasn't the first choice. I won't say who the, who the first choices were, but um, he was, he was amazing. I mean, literally my producer knew throughout a bunch of people, this is what happened throughout a bunch of people. And in the end, I, I went on YouTube and just watched interviews with people. 
And then I heard Jason and I was like, oh, that's that's perfect. We were trying, you know, one point we were thinking, should it be American? Should it be, you know, someone from Cambridge or whatever? But when I heard Jason do some interview, I forget what talk show it was. I just heard his voice, the sound of his voice. And I was like, I want him. And my producer, Orion, texted him and he said, hey, I'm going to be in London in a few weeks. And it was like it was just it was kind of fate, you know, really. Uh, and he was great. He came in. He corrected my grammar and some of the writing, you know, really beautiful guy, you know, and, and amazing. And I, I think the, the sound of his voice is, is, is perfect, I think. Just looking over some past articles on you, Roddy, I, I just I think it's a pretty big question to ask. But you, you seem to me to be a personal filmmaker and wondering if you got some of that ethos or just uh, POV from appreciating as I'm assuming as a youth, the works of Ozu. And, and I just wondering how much he impacted you as a filmmaker and more importantly, as a person, because I think that prob- I'm assuming that might bleed into what you do as a filmmaker, the, the humanity behind it. Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, I titled one of my films after an Ozu film, this film, I was born, but which is, I love that film. I mean, I think that that kind of, <clears throat> you know, the emotional, register that's behind a lot of his films I love. When I was in film school, I saw Ozu films alongside Godard films and, you know, a whole range, you know, definitely of the film school generation. And then, you know, with punk rock coming into it and then seeing like Jim Jarmusch's early films, all of a sudden we were like, oh man, we can make movies. And so, but, you know, I think absolutely the, um, sort of humanity in a lot of the Ozu films is really touching. I mean, some of the Kurosawa stuff, you know, and if you just talk yeah. about the Asian work, you know, Dersu Uzla and, and and those types of movies, you know, they, you know, I think it's important because I think, you know, I want people to come away from the film with some kind of emotional response, you know, because otherwise, you know, and this is too common. You go see a movie, you come out of it with your friends and you go like, I didn't like that. And I like that. And then that's it. And I want people to sort of at least engage and think about, you know, um, themselves in relationship to the work, right? Yeah, on the work, it's, it was being a documentary documentarian. Are you also, do you also teach? Are you also a professor? Have, have you done that before? Uh, yeah, I've been a teacher uh, for many years uh, at a school, New Jersey City University in Jersey City. So um, you have... You have an inside track. Are you excited for the new generation of filmmakers? Because we are, you and I are the same generation. You're talking about punk rock ethic. I'm uh, Generation X. So we grew up with that whole film school, VHS, physical media stuff. What am I missing? Are, are, should, should I be excited about the new crop of filmmakers that are coming out of school right now? I mean, I hope so. That's what I, that's what I always tell my students. I'm like, you guys are my secret army, right? That you have to change. Because I think, you know, the film industry is is always behind the music industry. So I think... They're, you know, they're, they're going to suffer the same kind of, you know, thing around streaming and all these types of things and big budget stuff. But, you know, I always have, I always hold out hope because, you know, it's what I do. I've trained myself to do films my entire life. Films are what changed my life. Music's what changed my life. It's where I found my identity. So I always try and be uh, positive, <laughs> if I could say that, you know, because I think if not, you know, I'm kind of condemning my own fate to, you know, to some kind of uh, person living in a cave, right? Uh, so, <laughs> you know, so, you know, I always, I always try and inspire my students to think about that, you know, but really think about the power of storytelling, you know, in the end, you know, uh, and I think that's, you know, people like good stories, people and people want to have a, a reaction to films. And and I think, you know, the problem is there's just too many crappy films out in the world. And that's, it's a deluge. So it's, it's an uphill battle. 
Okay, so finally, with my podcast listeners and and fellow Patreon members, I usually ask filmmakers to recommend one of their all time favorite films. So after watching Have You Got It Yet, I'm going to tell our listeners this is your pick for them to see. What's can you name like a, a film that's really special for you, and why should they see it? So that's I know general, I, my, so. yes, my students ask me that all the time, and I end up giving them a two page list. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's so tricky. Um, Send over the Google doc, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yeah, I can do that. It, it's, it's so tricky to, I, we could have done that for the whole interview. I could have just read out all the lists of films. You know, I, I like, I like films, you know, that, that inspire me, you know, that, that, that touch me in some way. And, you know, if you, if you, if you talk about music film, let's, if we, if we try and narrow the focus, yeah. one of the reasons why I wanted to work with Orion Williams, my producer, is because he had produced his film Control, which was a biopic about Joy Division. Yeah. And I love that movie. And I saw that film. And when I realized uh, I could potentially reach this producer, I asked a friend of mine to track him down. You know, so I think it's it's partly, um, you know, that film I thought was just a beautiful movie. And I think the fact that you can still make films that have that kind of emotional register is important. And I think the the, the trick is to build up an ecosystem where you can do that, right? And And yeah. I'm now at a point in my life where I only want to do things that I want to do. Um, and I feel very fortunate and I always say this to my students, making a film is a privilege and you should think about that, you know, because I think the amount of money I spent on the film, I could live and eat very well for the next five years or 10 years. So, you know, I think the, the thing is to, to, to make a good movie in the end. This is the, this is the thing because there's too much crap out there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And I really love your documentary. Great. Thanks right. a lot. Thank you. Great. Take care. Take care. Thanks. Bye.